Morning. Oh, hey. Well, you're awake now, I suppose. Uh, you know, you may have heard the phrase before that nothing worth fighting for comes easy. Uh, that's almost always true. I mean, I can give you a whole bunch of examples. So you think of the civil rights movement in the 1960s or the uh, space race of a, a similar time period or the fact that you know, Edison failed about a thousand times before he actually invented the light bulb. You've got the hard work and the well-documented failures of uh, Walt Disney, uh, Henry Ford, Steve Jobs. Uh, the list goes on, right? And one of the main things that all of these people had in common is that they had to fight through discouragement before they got to something great. And for the last few weeks uh, as a church, we've been talking about how God has been moving mightily in this church. And because of that, we are going to run out of space here in the future. And thus, as we continue to reach and disciple people for Christ, we are going to build a building uh, on our land on Lexington and 125th in Blaine. However, as we've been working on this process for the last five years now, it hasn't been easy uh, it certainly had its own ups and downs and even discouragements along the way. Uh, for example, the exponential rise of construction costs that we've faced uh, over the last 12 months. And so uh, for the last few weeks, if you've been here, uh, we've been talking about how in order to secure our loan uh, to start construction in just three and a half months, uh, we need to raise another $210,000 in pledges over the next 15 months. And really that'll come from two places, from uh, the 100 or so of you that are new, uh, making pledges for 15 months and are asking everyone who's pledged before to extend their harvest pledge by an extra three months at the end. And all of that pledging is above and beyond what you may already be giving to the general fund. And in other words, we don't want anyone to move their giving from the general fund to the harvest fund or we're not paying the rent here next week and we won't have a church. Okay, today is our Commitment Sunday. And so towards the end of this service, we'll be asking you all to hand in your commitment cards for Harvest. Uh, I know many of you picked one up uh, last week or you got one in the mail. Uh, maybe you brought that with you this morning. Uh, if you don't have one, there is one under every chair. So if you need one, you can uh, bend over and pick that up. Uh, as we have been uh, talking about the building uh, during this series, uh, we've been studying the book of Nehemiah in the Bible as Nehemiah also built something for God. So we felt like that was the best sort of parallel place for us to look. Uh, as we open up in the Bible, there's a Bible under every chair if you want to follow along. We're going to be on page 385 today, uh, or you can use the Renovation Church app. If you don't know much about Nehemiah, the story of Nehemiah takes place about 400 years before Jesus. Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king of Persia, but when he finds out that Jerusalem is really in a bad state and the walls are still knocked down, Nehemiah cries tears for his city, but the gracious hand of God is upon him and the king lets him go back to Jerusalem. Then everybody in Jerusalem comes together and they begin the process of rebuilding the wall. And at the beginning, everyone is really encouraged about the project until, well, people begin to discourage them. And that's what chapter 4 really is all about. So here we go. Chapter 4, uh, we are going to start right at verse 1. Here's what it says. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? 
Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah, the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What they are building, even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. And so the building of the wall has begun, but also so has the criticism, uh, particularly from these two guys uh, named Sanballat and Tobiah. Now, these are leaders of uh, different groups of people, not the Jews, uh, from some of the surrounding regions. And their discouragements right towards the beginning of the project are not unlike the same discouragements that many of us face when we attempt to do something great for God. In fact, I want to encourage you to even take notes today as we walk through these, because you're going to see a lot of parallels between this and the Word and your own life as you try and do things for the Lord. Now, the first two discouragements come from Sanballat. Uh, He says that the Jews cannot rebuild the wall because they're too feeble. Now, this is really the first of many of discouragements, that if you're trying to do something for Jesus, that you're going to feel at the beginning. And he, he says, no, 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 they're too feeble, that they're going to give up, that they're not going to stick with it. Right? It's easy to give up when the project just feels so daunting in size in the beginning. I will tell you, this, this particular project uh, for our church felt rather daunting uh, five years ago in 2014. Because in 2014, we had to say, all right, we're going to start raising money because we are going to buy land somewhere. We didn't even know where it was. We're going to buy land somewhere, and then someday we're going to buy it, and then eventually we'll have to raise money again for the building for a couple years, and then eventually we'll build the building, and that's all going to happen six years from now. That's a big vision, right? And it's a hard one to talk about because I think we all have examples of, we know entrepreneurs, we know businesses, we know even churches that sometimes say they've got this big vision for what's going to happen in the future, and then it never comes to fruition, right? Or they lose focus. But I just, the gracious hand of God has been on this, and he has kept us focused on this. All right, the second discouragement we see from Sanballat is he's basically saying to the Jews, no, 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 you're never going to do this because the work is too hard for you. So the first discouragement is kind of about their inability to even stick with it. And the second discouragement is saying, okay, even if you stick with it, you don't even have the ability to pull this off. Those discouragements will come in your life if you try and do something significant for the Lord. Uh, When we announced this uh, project in October of 2014, in fact, we were only averaging 265 people in our services at the time. So that was our total attendance. So the idea of building a building uh, with 500 seats, you know, that would fit 1,000 people at two services, that seemed a little a little big, maybe even a little too big. Uh, Plus, as you think about raising money, our average age of this church back in uh, 2014 was like 29, maybe 30. And so there are a few eyebrows raised. Like, can we actually do this? You know, we've uh, raised money, like set a goal. We're going to attempt to raise this much uh, a number of times in the last five years. And 100% of the time, we have hit that goal. But I will tell you, out of all of those times, none of them have surprised me more than when we did it the first time, when we raised money for the land in 2014. Uh, Precisely because I was thinking, even myself, I was thinking, yeah, this is probably too hard for us. (laughs) And honestly, it probably was, but it wasn't too hard for God. All right, third discouragement at the outset. 
Now, this one uh, comes from Tobiah, now this other regional leader. And he's, he says, listen, even if a fox was to walk in your guys' wall, it would crumble because your work won't be good enough. See, this is how discouragement works. It lies to you. In fact, one of the things that archaeology has proved about Nehemiah's wall is Nehemiah's wall was actually nine feet thick. Isn't that amazing? And so a fox isn't going to make this wall crumble. A hundred foxes aren't going to make this wall crumble. But see, when you let discouragement into your life, it takes you away from logic, and it also just takes you away from what God is doing or saying to you in your life. Now, I wanted to put these on the screen, uh, not just to talk of our own uh, situation with this project, but to the many of you out here that are attempting great things for God, as I know many of you are. Some of you may not know this, but there are people within this church that are starting nonprofits. Uh, There are people in this church that are starting outreach ministries uh, to students. There are people who are trying to figure out better ways to feed the homeless. And I want to tell you all, the amazing risk takers and faith leapers of this church, that the enemy is going to try and discourage you with these same things. He's going to say to you, no, you're, too, you're too feeble to do something like this. Don't even get it started because you're going to give up. He's going to say to you, now this work is, it is way too hard for you. This is like above your pay grade. You're not really the person to do this. He's going to say to you, and even if you do it, it's just going to be a mess. Your, your work is not good enough for this. It's never going to work. In fact, you probably shouldn't even start because you're just going to make a mess of it. That's how discouragement works. See, but I believe the word of God tells us what to do when we're discouraged. And the first thing that Nehemiah is going to do in these next couple of verses is he's going to pray. And so when discouragement comes, we have to turn to God in prayer or discouragement will overwhelm you. So this is the first thing. This is how you fight through discouragement when it comes and it will come, especially at the beginning, is you have to turn to prayer and you have to turn to prayer often. Otherwise, the discouraging voices are going to drown out the voice of God, the voice of God that called you in to do something significant in the first place. Okay, so here's Nehemiah's prayer. He's going to pray with passion to drown out the discouragement. Now, his prayer is a little bit scary to us as modern people, but this is how he prays. Verse 4, hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. Then verse 6 says, So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. All right, so now they're encouraged in prayer. In fact, now they're working with all of their heart, and the wall has now reached the halfway point. But you're going to see, in fact, probably the main theme of this chapter is this cycle of discouragement and then deepening of the faith. And then, no, more discouragement. And then deepening of the faith. And then, oh, discouragement again, right? And then deepening of the faith. And that's, you're just going to see it over and over. And by the way, if you want to do something great for God, it's going to look exactly like that. 
I think a lot of people, the Lord moves them to do something significant, and they think, oh, it's going to be amazing, and it's just going to be a deepening of my faith the whole way, and it just doesn't look like that. It didn't look that way for Nehemiah. It didn't look that way for Paul. It didn't look that way for anyone in the scriptures, and it won't look that way for you. So they build the wall with all their hearts. They get to the halfway point, and now this happens. Verse 7 now. It says, but when Samballot, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Okay, so they were just encouraged in prayer, but then discouragement comes again. Verses 7 and 8. So look at verse 7. We're told that uh, Samballot is coming. Now, Samballot is from the north in uh, Samaria. And then you have the Ammonites, which are in the east. And you have the Arabs in the south. And then you have the Ashdodites from the west. And so the Jews are literally surrounded by enemies on every side. Enemies that are saying, nah, this isn't going to happen. We will stop you. Right back to discouragement. But once again, Nehemiah, who's this prolific leader, has an answer for them. Now look at verse 9. He says, basically, he says, we're going to pray, and we're going to post a guard. <laughs> I, just, I love Nehemiah as a leader because he's this deep spiritual leader who has this practical reality to him as well. And I think this is another way we respond to discouragement. So if you really want to fight through all this discouragement that's keeping you from getting going at the beginning, is you've got to turn to God in prayer and then number two, you, you really need some earthly help too. Because when you're trying to do something great and you get discouraged, you need people, you need friends standing guard with you. Say, yeah, I'm going to help you. I'm going to make sure this works. I'll stand guard. I'll stand guard to your discouragement and I will encourage you on. You just can't do something significant for the Lord on your own. Okay, so they pray, they post a guard, and we see that they're encouraged once again. And this encouragement lasts all the way from verse 9 until verse 10. Okay, so this is the theme of this chapter. You've got to expect this if you want to do something significant. So watch how the discouragement really builds this time, even though they're halfway through. They've gone from nothing to halfway. Okay, verse 10. It says, Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out. And there's so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and we'll kill them and put an end to the work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Right, just when they're feeling encouraged again, bam. Major disappointment this time. Major discouragement. Right? And it's at the halfway point. Now, at the halfway point, sometimes the discouragement can look different than it did at the beginning. Actually, you know what? The halfway point is a very common place for discouragement to happen to you if you're working on something. Because like at the halfway point, just think about this. You've done enough at that point to just be really tired but there's still enough to do that you can feel like, oh, we're never going to make it. There's a halfway point is one of the most common places that people get discouraged. 
I see the two discouragements of verse 10 that sometimes are this combo punch of discouragement at the halfway point. So I'm going to put them up together. Now, these are different discouragements than what you see at the beginning. So these are discouragements that are going to happen to you if you're doing something significant halfway through. The first is you're going to feel like your strength is just giving out. Like, I've been working on this and working on this. I've been praying for this. I've been moving this. I just don't know if I can do this anymore. And that's going to feel discouraging. And you're going to look and you're going to say, but there's still so much to do. I just, I don't know. I don't know if I can do it. And you're going to feel discouraged at the halfway point. This is where the word of God is helpful. You just know this on the front end that is coming this way. You know, I think about this sometimes as I think about our own uh, six-year project of working towards this building. It's It's exhausting. I was at one of the Q&As at our house groups this week, and uh, someone asked me, what are you going to do uh, when we get into the building? And I said, take a nap. I'm, j- I'm just going to take a nap and, s- and sleep for a long time. Uh, this has been a lot of work for a lot of people, and there's still more work to do. There's still more work to do financially. Right? That's why we're here today. And that can just feel overwhelming at times. Like, here we are again. We're talking about money. Been talking about this since 2014. Yeah, we have. But don't get discouraged. Right? Don't quit now. Don't give up now. Don't check out now. We're not six years away anymore. Right? We're three and a half months from breaking ground. Three and a half months from putting a shovel in the ground. God is going to do this. Keep the faith. I've been joking uh, with all of you uh, for a year or two now that I've been so looking forward in my life to breaking the ground on that land. I've been saying, I'm going to buy myself a golden shovel for that day. Uh, Well, uh, uh, two weeks ago, a woman in our church actually came up to me and handed me a golden (laughs) shovel, which is incredible. And it came attached with a note. I want to read you the note of what she wrote. She wrote this. She said, I actually uh, purchased this shovel a while back on the Sunday that we were all invited to spend a month in prayer for the appraisal. And I purchased it with confidence, with faith that God would continue to provide. We believe that God is moving in Renovation Church and that he will continue to move. And I love that. To me, this This is a symbol of faith, right? It's a symbol that we believe that the gracious hand of God has been on this church, that we believe that in three and a half months, this thing is going to go right through the ground in a joyous, uproariously joyous moment from our church, right? We have faith through all the discouragements, through all the ups and downs, that God is going to do this. Now, I don't know, honestly, with any exact certainty when our a financial secretary and our financial folks look at all the pledges. I don't know. I can't tell you with certainty that we're going to be above 210000 But I just know in my spirit, in my soul, that this thing is going in the ground. Somehow, at some time, that God is going to do this. Because his hand has been on this project, and I just, I trust I trust in his, in his gracious hand. We need to be encouraged. We need to be encouraged even when the enemy comes and discourages us. 
And I think th- this is really the discouragement that can really get you down halfway through. So this is the third thing that happens in this story. Is it's not only that they're in their own mind going, I don't know if I have strength for this, I don't know if I can keep going, but there are attacks from the enemy. And there's major discouragement. And this is kind of the low point in the project, verses 11 through 12. It's not just that there's so much more work to do. It's that now the enemy is saying, yeah, we're going to come. We've got you surrounded. And in fact, we're going to attack you and kill you. Well, it doesn't get much more discouraging than that, right? And I just want you to know, as you attempt great things for God, even if you just simply join us in this project, the enemy, the devil, may come and attack you with discouragement. He may discourage you even in your pledge. You may get halfway through these next 15 months and life may get hard. Or maybe you have a job change. Or maybe your health becomes difficult. I mean, none of us know what our finances are going to look like eight months from now. Like, in a sense, pledging is the easy part, right? It's commitment. It's sticking with it. Right? Even if the enemy discourages us, that's, that's the hard part. Okay, let's keep reading in our passage. Verse 13 now. So Nehemiah says, Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and I said to them, the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who's great and awesome, and fight for your families, your sons, and your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. So half the people are equipped with weapons. Now watch what the other half are doing. They're actually working. This is kind of the middle of 17 here. He says, those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. And the chapter kind of concludes with Nehemiah saying, we just wore our weapons everywhere we went. Now, I have always, for years, loved the imagery of this chapter for Christians. So just picture it. Half of the people are working on the wall, and while they're working, the sword is right at their side. And the other half, he says, they're carrying, look at this image, they're carrying the stones with one hand and a sword in the other. And that's how they're doing the work. And that is the image of the Christian worker who wants to do something significant for the Lord. This is how we battle. Right? This is how we keep going, even through discouragement. It's how you fight through. You keep building the kingdom of God in one hand. You keep doing what the Lord is asking for you, and you fight the enemy of discouragement with the other. And in Scripture, we fight with prayer, but we also fight with the Word of God. That becomes a major theme, actually, if you finish out the book of Nehemiah. So how do you fight? How do you fight through discouragement at the halfway point? Especially when the enemy is attacking you, saying, no, I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you. You fight with the word of God. When the enemy is telling you, you're never going to finish the work. You can't just saturate your ears with the lies of discouragement. You need to be in the word of God every day, letting truth and hope speak into your life. You have to fill your mind with God's word. Otherwise, discouragement is just going to drown you. 
There's another really important piece, I think, if you, if you get to the halfway point and you feel like, oh, I don't know if I can do this anymore. We can see this uh, in what Nehemiah says in the second half of verse 14. He says this. He says, guys, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. We fight for the people around us. This is another way you really, really fight discouragement. And I think this one is really important because when I've seen people in discouragement, I see that they just, this, this thing is off their radar. You fight by remembering what you're fighting for. That's what Nehemiah is reminding. He's, God, we're doing this for, for your wife, for your children, for our homes, for our neighbors. What happens when you get discouraged and you're tired and you're worried about the enemy is you just sort of walk around with your head down going, oh, I don't know, this, no, this is never going to happen. And Nehemiah is saying, look up. Look up. Remember why you started fighting in the first place. But when we get tired, we just forget that. You know, this week, uh, I got uh, pretty tired myself. I went to uh, all nine of our house groups in five days. And I got about halfway through. I was at one of the Q&As, and I was just feeling, honestly, I was just feeling tired. And I looked out at one of the groups, and I noticed a number of faces just shining with joy, even more than usual, at what we were talking about. And then it just hit me, ah, okay, that person that I'm looking at, they came to Christ at this church. And I looked over at another person who was smiling, and I thought, ah, so did they. And I looked towards the back, I'm like, and so did they. And so did they. And I started counting in my head as I was asking a question, which is really dangerous, uh, but I was like, one, two, three. In that room of 20-some people, there were seven people who had come to Christ at our church just in the last several years. And for them, this is real. This is not about numbers. This is real. This is about fighting for your family and your friends and your neighbors to know Christ. Uh, We say here often that we will sacrifice for this because we're not talking about numbers. We're talking about real people. Uh, the other day on uh, social media, I uh, saw one of the many people who had accepted Christ at our church. Uh, she uh, posted a picture of our Harvest uh, booklet. And I was intrigued by that, so I thought, oh, i got to read this. And she had taken a picture of the page that said, more chairs equals more changed lives. And then here's what she wrote. I'm going to read it to you. She wrote, I am grateful for a chair. Let me explain. On September 13th, 2015, I walked into an ordinary elementary school in Blaine, Minnesota, and had my life changed for eternity. On that particular morning, the school was transformed into a church, just as it had been for many Sundays prior and would be for many more to come. Because there was a chair waiting for me, I was able to be present for the day that I became alive. You see, that was the day that I gave my life to Jesus Christ. Now, Renovation Church is going to run out of chairs. And I want you to pause and think about what that means. To me, it means life and death. We're talking about real people. Real people who can have their lives changed for eternity, as she writes. I don't care how hard hard this is. I don't care what discouragements may come 
we need to do this. We are going to do this. I would even say to you right now, in our 10-year history, the time has come where we have to do this. I think maybe one of the best questions I got asked uh, this week was someone said, okay, what happens, you know, we're trying to raise $210,000, what happens if we're $50,000 short? $5,000 short is one thing. Uh, what happens if we're $50,000 short? And I said, well, honestly, we'd probably, we wouldn't have the money, so we'd probably have to delay the project by a year. But if we delay the project by the year, because inflation is growing so fast in this economy, just by doing nothing, the entire project, because of inflation, would increase another 150000 So if we wait, if we can't do it now, then 12 months from now, we're not $50,000 short, now we're $200,000 short. And so this is the time. We do this now. We let God move through us now. And God's going to do significant, amazing things. All right. And so we've come uh, to the time where, in just a minute, we're going to make our pledges and our commitments uh, for the Harvest Project. Uh, Under your chair, if you haven't grabbed it yet, or if you brought it in your purse or your merce or whatever you brought in, grab your commitment card. Uh, Would you just go ahead and and, and get that out? As you have it, let me just mention a few details on it. Uh, What you're doing here is essentially you're making a pledge of what you intend to give. Uh, You're not actually giving like a check or anything right now. Uh, It's just a a declaration of your intent of what you will give uh, over the next uh, period of time that you designate on there. Uh, There are three different sections on the pledge. Uh, Because there are a number of ways to pledge, I just want to walk through this because it's a, a little bit more complex than usual. Uh, if you are turning one in today, everybody needs to fill out this first section right here, the top section. There's three sections. The top that has your information. Uh, the second section is for those of you that are making your pledge to harvest uh, for the first time. You're pledging for 15 months. You would just fill out the first section, the second section, and then not do anything with the third section. The other people that could fill out the sec- second section is there are some of you, a number of people came up to, house, to me at house groups this week and said this, and I was just blown away by this. A number of you said, uh, we're, we've been giving to Harvest already for a while, but we are going to up our pledge for the remaining 15 months. If for some reason you're going to do that, then you would write in your new pledge amount in this second section. You don't have to tell us your old amount. You don't have to tell us what the difference is. We can figure all of that out. You just simply put in uh, what your new pledge amount would be for the remaining uh, 15 months, and then you would not do the third section. Uh, the third section is for those of you that have pledged in the past and you are willing, which is amazing, to extend your pledge by those three extra months. That's December 2020, January 21, February 21. And if that's you, you don't have to fill in this middle section, the second section, uh, just the first and uh, the third. Uh, and you just simply write in what your extension is. And I also know that there are some of you in that camp who said, hey, for those final three months, uh, we're going to do even more than we have been doing uh, up until then. We're going to do a little bit more. Again, you would just, if that's what you're going to do, just put in what the new amount is, not what the old or the difference, just whatever you plan on giving during those three months, just put that in. Now, I know that a lot of you are going to text me, email me, uh, call me in the next couple of days and say, what's the num- tell me what the number is. Uh, I want to know what the total uh, number is. Um, 
I will just shut you down. Uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> We're not going to announce the number uh, right away. We know that you know, people are just, it's life. People are out of town today. Some people are mailing their pledges in or doing it on the app or doing it online. And we just want to give people time, especially we know with a Christmas coming up and year-end giving. So we are not actually going to announce the total for a little while here. We're not going to announce it until January 5th, um, which we are going to call a Celebration Sunday. Because we're going to celebrate what God's doing, no matter what happens. We're just trusting in him. Uh, At this point, I'm going to call uh, the band uh, back on stage uh, to lead us in a final song of worship. And we're actually going to do something kind of different. But I just think it's important that we do this. Because what you're doing this morning is you're not just making a pledge. This, This is an important act of worship. And so what we'd like you to do is, uh, during this last song, anytime during this song, you can take your time if you want, I want you to get up, and I want you to bring your commitment card to the front, and you can place it, there's a basket here, kind of at the front of this aisle, and there's a basket uh, right here. And you can place it in the basket. And I want you to realize that this isn't just a pledge. It is an offering to God. You're saying, God, this is a sacrifice to you. This is my act of worship. I'm going to sacrifice for you so that you can be glorified, so that the lost can be reached. This is my sacrifice. And I know so many of you in this room are making absolutely amazing sacrifices for this. And I want you to know that that is a powerful act of worship to the Lord. And so at any time during this last final song, you can get up, uh, bring your commitment card to the front. If your family is here with you, uh, do it together. Even if you want, you can pray together before you come up. However you want to do it, uh, you can do it. And finally, let me just say, as the leader of this church, just how grateful I am and the rest of our leaders are for the people of this church. I just, I'm just expecting that God is going to do this in faith. And I just, I thank you. And I'm so grateful for you. You know, it's, it's together, it's together that we are Renovation Church. I just believe that someday whether it's here on earth or even if it's in heaven, that someday someone is going to come up to you, wrap their arms around you, and thank you for your sacrifice. Because it's because of people like you that they got to hear the good news and the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Let me pray, and then we'll go into worship. Lord, we just pray that you do this uh, right now. God, this is the time we need you. We ask for you, and we just ask that you would move mightily and miraculously in this room. In your name we pray. Amen.